Hi everyone, this is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Today is Tuesday, May 28th, after what I hope uh, for everyone was a fun uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, today's podcast is going to be a very um, entertaining podcast. No, well, I won't say entertaining. Entertaining is probably a bad word. It's very informative podcast. It'll be entertaining for me. I'm not sure it'll be entertaining for other people, but uh, it'll certainly be a, a, a bit of a walk down memory lane. I've got on the line uh, Sean Burke. Uh, Sean is a, in all full disclosure, was a uh, is a good friend of mine, guy that I worked for at a compact about a hundred years ago um, during our early days uh, in the consumer business, where we you know worked together coming up with the the uh, Presario brand, which was really the first bona fide consumer brand of uh, PC technology that came to the market and was hugely successful. Sean's had a number of uh, very high-profile jobs since then, but which we will definitely go into. But uh, let me uh, introduce Sean, who will say hello to the audience. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? Uh, glad to be here, and uh, it, it, it certainly will be entertaining for me as well. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Not a problem. But And I definitely want to get into some of the stuff that you've been working on for the last few years, because that's very um uh, that's very, very uh, exciting, and actually some of the stuff you're working on is, is very disruptive. You always had kind of a disruptive component to your career. But let's harken back to the days um, at Compaq, and uh, the, um, the one story that I just love to, to jump into, because I don't think people have an appreciation for you know w- what was going on in the PC business in the mid-late 80s, um, and just, you know, to kind of put a bow on it for the audience is that, you know, Compact, as everybody I think knows, was a tremendous success in coming out with the first clone um, portable, luggable computer in the, uh, in the mid-80s, early 80s, uh, following IBM's lead. And, you know, IBM, IBM's a, that could be a completely different podcast in terms, of the way they, <laughs> they, in terms of the way they kind of screwed up the PC business. But Compaq originally came into the business with, you know, innovation, a different form factor, you know, the idea of portable computing mm-hmm. with that big, um, uh, that carrying case like um, uh, sewing portable machine. Computer. Sewing machine. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and but but really, you know, when they started to take off, took uh, take off in the mid '80s, I mean, their claim to fame was, you know, offering, you know, uh, you know, uh, better uh, performance. But mm-hmm. at pricing, that was a little bit better than, than than IBM, but was not, you know, dramatically undercutting IBM, and right. what and they and that was very successful for them for a number of years in the mid '80s. But then all of a sudden, the clones came along and started to really, yep. you know, establish a niche well under where Compaq was, and kind of that's where you entered the picture, Sean, in terms of some of the things that you did to change really Compaq's corporate culture. And I don't think that's an overstatement. I think you did, you know, the the the, the work that you're going to talk about. In, uh, vis-a-vis that new brand called Prolinia, which really kind of right. changed the, the, the trajectory of, of Compaq, it really involved a, a sea change in the corporate culture there. But let's go back into a little bit about that if we can. Sure, sure. Yeah, it, it was quite a story. I mean, Compaq, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, introduced the portable computing, uh, even did, did developed the first notebook uh, computer. Didn't develop the first laptop. That was from Toshiba. But That's the first right. notebook as we know it, uh, came from Compaq, but um, Compaq was really driving a lot of the technology and performance, and and they were based on compatibility because there were there were a lot of clones in the early days, but none were really compatible that you could really rely on, and and Compaq really perfected that. But yeah, as you said, you know, as the uh, it was in the early '90s um, that. Uh, a lot of the uh, the clones, if you will, um, kind of came in and, and started really eating away at the at the bottom part of the market. And you know, companies like ALR, AST, 
uh, Gateway um, or Dell. Um, wow. Dell was one that was just coming up, you know, and taking the direct market, but just doing a phenomenal job. But uh, you know, even undercutting Compaq uh, and and others because of their direct approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and so it really what it came down to is I was I was working on a uh, a new product line. I was a product planner and worked on a new product line, the Desk Pro M product, which was the first upgradable um, modular kind of computing system for Compaq. Um, and uh, it was really at that very end uh, of that uh, development stage where we were launching in a market that we had a program that I, I instituted where we'd go out to customers, a lot of corporate and commercial customers, and pre-disclose the Desk Pro M to them. And, mm-hmm. and while it, it had good feedback, um, I think the one resounding and, and even surprising uh, feedback that we got was that you know, it, it was too high priced. It was going to be too mm-hmm. high priced, and and a lot of these other computer companies were really undercutting Compaq, and and that's what really I think proved to me that we had to do something very mm-hmm. different and, right. and get pricing down. Right, and and if and if you recall, Sean, during those days, I am sure because um, I didn't get there until 1992 or 1993. But when you were there, you know, mm-hmm. um, and there's an gr- interesting story on your trip to Comdex, and we'll talk about that in a second. Sure. But there was, there had to be tremendous corporate um, resistance to changing the model. And this is not just unique to Compact. This happens with many successful companies oh, yeah. where they they have a model that's working, and there's a lot of you know in, in, in um, interior resistance to changing the way business is done. So let's talk a little bit about that because I really think that's important and part of the story. Yeah. It, well, it is. I mean, I mean, and you can kind of go through the, you know, the uh, the graveyard of companies throughout history, and you, you could see that where, you know, something that was the the right formula for years, decades, mm-hmm. um, you know, gets to a point where you know you have to change. I mean, you know, look at Kodak and companies like that. Right. But at, right. at Compaq, um, uh, we we were started doing some early investigation, and re- and really, it, it, kind of the, the funny part of it was, as uh, as after Desperam was launched. Uh, ben Rosen, who was the chairman of the board, um, asked me to, to assist him with a presentation at Montgomery Securities Conference. And I flew back from San Francisco to Houston on his jet, and and he ended up uh, asking me, he's like, do you think there's any way we can compete with these lower-end computer companies? And and I, I said, yeah. In fact, I, I had started working on that because, of again, the feedback that I got uh, from a lot of those corporate customers uh, when I was disclosing to them. And, and I had done some really work. I said, but it, it really does need to be done very differently and, and really looking mm-hmm. more to outsourcing. But while we got some information, I, I really kind of felt, uh, oh, and I would just say what he said is, okay, tell you what, keep moving forward with that, but don't tell your boss, don't tell their, their boss, and you just report back to me on this. <laughs> which, which, you know, as a young product manager. Yeah, how, how old were you then, Sean? Oh, um, I, I was... Probably around 28, 29. I mean, that's uh, unbelievable to get that kind of an assignment and then yeah. do it, by the way, in kind of a stealth mode. Not that, that Ben didn't trust the the management team, but I'm sure he wanted you to make sure that you could get this done with a lot of without a lot of bureaucracy, which I assume I, I, has with him. That's right. I think that's exactly it. And and while we were going off investigating, there was one story where we were able to identify that um, – where we can can purchase a power supply for a, for a desktop computer, mm-hmm. um, much lower cost than what we were developing at a company because we developed all this stuff, as you know, Mark. That's right. We had that's developed right. All the stuff internally. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. And so oh. I uh, we we had you know evidence that we could buy one that is you know almost 
pretty close to the same specs for much cheaper. I think it was like a third the cost. Right. And um, and so I, I kind of like tried a little trial balloon with one of the executives and just said, you know, I think we can acquire, we can uh, purchase a power supply for a lot cheaper. Um, what do you think about that? And and this executive, um, and I won't say his name, but <laughs> the executive said, well, you know, I'm sure that if we could do that, somebody would have done that and walked mm. away. And right. I was like left standing there and thinking, yeah, this is this is why it has to be in stealth mode. And and yeah, right. Ben was right. Ben was right, and and that's what we went about doing. But um, yeah, there was a there was a lot of in, in, inherent processes and requirements, and that as as the as the computer market was maturing and commoditizing, if you will, and it was still at the very early stage of that. But as that happens, you have to adjust. Uh, the product and the requirements and the specification, as well as the price along the way. And, and that's something for a lot of companies to get right. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's an amazing story because, hey, and you, by the way, you, I don't know if you still have it on your LinkedIn profile, but you wrote this very detailed um, overview of that whole incident, not yes. incident, but the history of that, that situation. And I yes. encourage anybody to, um, to read that because it really is an interesting uh, perspective uh, of what what transpired there, and I think what's re- interesting is that, like in many many things, history tends to repeat itself, and the same thing happened, you know, years after that. You'll recall, and it's kind of interesting because of all the tariff stuff that's going on with with Trump right now, and the uh, the the outsourcing that's happened with uh, with U.S. technology over the last ten years. If you if you recall, and I know you recall this very clearly, Sean, is that one of Compaq's hallmarks outside the whole product piece was that hey we build everything in houston you know and they had these they had this wonderful manufacturing facility in conroe texas and mm-hmm. uh, i won't walk you through over but the, that was actually one of the when you if you took a tour of the complex mm-hmm. that was the hey you know we we hire local people and we we yep. uh, we build these pcs and they had a they had a operational line that with a with that with computer boxes that were that would literally go over your head through kind of a, a tunnel yeah. track and um and the reason why I think it's relevant is that shortly when when we introduced the Presario brand, you know, cost was incredibly important, yeah. and not just the cost of the components, but the transformation costs. And then we had to go through that entire process again, trying to convince the management, hey, by the way, we can build PCs a lot less expensively in Asia than we can build in the U.S. And that's a toughie, because that obviously impacted. Um, people who were manufacturing in Houston, yeah. but, but now it's, it's not even a second thought. I mean, most electronics yeah. are manufactured overseas. Yeah, uh, it, it, it got there. And, and yeah, it was a wonderful facility. Um, and, and it was, it was, that was the right thing to do for, for, you know, the evolution of, you know, the computing industry and, and it, and it evolved to, to going more outsource. And we had started building factories in Scotland and in Singapore, and then it kind of gradually migrated into, you know, Ch- South China in, in the free trade zone. And then, you know, mm-hmm. even all throughout and, and, and a lot of that knowledge that, that not only compact, but a lot of the other computer companies had, uh, ended up moving to improve the processes and, and, and just continually move the cost down. And that's, and that's just uh, the way every industry is. You got to keep moving to improve yourself. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, and you know one of the the other things that, that you kind of sparked uh, in that uh, is that you know as we were developing this and we were outsourcing, there was a lot of uh, a lot of kickback from the people locally, and I mean a lot of people could see what what the you know the future was holding, and mm-hmm. and as little problems would occur with the pro- with the product or you know a quality issue here or there. I mean, you could see that there were some people who were just, you know, joyous, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, in, in seeing something going wrong. And 
Um, but you know, not, they they didn't remember you know some of the problems that they had in the own, in their own factory at times. Uh, right, right. That's so, exactly but, right. Yeah, so it's 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 tough, and yeah, there there was uh, you know a lot of people who who lost their jobs, and but that's you know that is that is the evolution. No, the nature of business, and uh, but you, but you know what is interesting, and I'm sure you'll agree with this is that when I talk to people, and I had a podcast with a couple of um, compact folks, a few ex compact folks, um, a couple of weeks ago, is that when people think about their career and you know people's jobs, that's the interesting thing about. This whole thing is that, you know, you've gone on to bigger and better things. I've done a lot of different things. Almost all of our friends and colleagues have branched out, you know, after their compact tenures and moved into different things. The interesting thing is, is when we look back at it, and maybe there's like an innocence, like an Eisenhower error, like innocence mm. about it. But <laughs> a lot of us look back at it saying, you know, you know, I was there for 10 years. And to me, it was like the, the most, I, it was probably the most enjoyable 10 years of my career not to say that people were not working hard because we worked our rear ends off but mm -hmm. it was it was a, you know it's, it was almost like a um i think ross cooley used this phrase uh who was a, he was a uh, the journal manager and svp of north america he used the phrase i think camelot to describe mm. that period at compact <laughs> in terms of it was just enjoyable because you, you were working with very mm. smart people you know, yes. we had a we had a CEO in Eckerd who was willing to do a lot of different things, yep. um, and experiment with a lot of different things. I mean, he has to get a lot of credit for um, you know pushing Compaq into the consumer business, which yep. at that time was a that was a very we should talk about that for a second. That was a very controversial decision going into that business. Well, well, yeah, and and you know, one one thing I'll I'll say just on on the point, uh, you, you know, during you know my time at Compaq and your time. Um, there were there were just a number of different um, changes and just radical disruptive things. Mm -hmm. And now you don't you, you don't think about it. And even then, when we were there, we weren't thinking, oh wow, this we're in a, we're living in a disruptive era and we're, right. we're doing disrupting this or that. It was just it was things that that had to be done. And if you remember, it, you know, we I think I think Compaq had that uh, that that mantra of you know just you know do the right thing. I think before you know it became a, a motto for somebody else, but um, <laughs> but but that's how we viewed it. If it was the right, right thing to do, you do it. And and oftentimes you know we were living in an era where you mentioned earlier about IBM owning the the PC market and the technology, and and we came in and 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 upended them from that. Mm -hmm. and, and then Dell and others came and tried to do that with us, and we did the Prolinea and and again one upped them and. And it was just this back and forth and getting into PC servers, I mean, which was totally right. different and yes. totally upending the mainframe market. Right. Um, so, so, and then, as you point out, getting in the consumer market, uh, I was at Dell. I, I, after the Prolinea product, I went, left and went to Dell and, and um, did a number of products there, but came back to Compaq right after the consumer division was formed. And you were there during mm -hmm. this time. But um, it, was, uh, it was an aspect of... Um, the the consumer product, the, the it was it was Prolinea and then Presario was created. Um, that was um, uh, that was a part of the commercial uh, division, and the commercial division was uh, the commercial <laughs> division had responsibility for the P and L, and the consumer right. products were losing huge amounts of money. Right, right. Um, and so I came in at that point, and you and you were there, and right. and uh, we had to reinvent. How companies did business, the PC companies did business in the consumer marketplace, and and you know inventing things like looking at life cycle modeling and, yes. and life cycles, which the, yes. the the computer industry today. Whenever I, I talk to my you know old colleagues from you know that are at Dell and HP and other places, they still use that you know one C, two C, three C of the year. We had to create that. Nobody did right. it, but but right. basically. 
uh, adopting retail cycles and consumer cycles, not the PC and technology cycles that the industry had lived by. So here again, we, we, we totally had to reinvent ourselves and do something different. And so, you know, you know, and then from then on, it, it, we had to do things differently, getting into, you know, uh, handheld devices, which we were there, music devices, MP3 players, you know, the, right. even the HP acquisition. So it was just a constant, yeah. you know, flurry of, of reinvention and disruption. And that was the norm. That was mm. the environment that we lived in. Right, Mark? No, I, I absolutely agree with you. And uh, I, I love the analogy that uh, I think it was Mike Heil, who was then the uh, general manager of the business uh, there, he used the phrase that the PC business, it's a, it really kind of kind of lays it out for you. The PC, the consumer PC business was very, very synonymous with being in the fish business. You know, because, te <laughs> no, because uh, seriously, yeah. I mean, co yeah. technology components decline very rapidly, especially like microprocessors and RAM and, and memory yep. and storage and things like that. And until we kind of figured that out, and it, it took us a while, but, I, it, but probably after about 10, it was about a year, you know, we implemented that lifecycle model that really has become, you know, the, the, the kind of the, um, the, uh, the Rosetta Stone, so to speak, of the mm -hmm. way every technology and PC company operates. Because unlike on the enterprise uh, side where, you know, Exxon or General Motors, when they buy 20,000 PCs or, mm -hmm. or, or like that, you know, they have, they have um, you know, uh, life, uh, life cycle expectations mm -hmm. for the product. They, you know, it, it's not absolutely critical for them. And in, in many cases, they have the latest and greatest technology. They standardize mm -hmm. in operating systems. I mean, it really is a completely different model than the mm -hmm. way consumers buy products. You know, they want the latest and greatest. They want the newest operating system. If you're not there with the latest version of Windows, if you recall, you know, you couldn't move them at any price. You know, so right. it was a completely different, um, different world. And now that I look, think back of it, it makes me feel old. I don't count the years, Mark. But, but you know, <laughs> to, to the point about you know that whole that whole you know pricing and marginal. I, in fact, I wrote an, another article that's on LinkedIn. Um, it's called "What's Your What's Your Gross Margin?" And and one thing, if you remember what we did we, prior to to doing that consumer effort, um, when you're a product manager and somebody asks you what your gross margin was, you looked at it what it, what your gross margin was like in that point in time. Time, right? And, and and that was like the wrong way to look at it for the consumer market because as we launch product, you, if you launched on time, you're, you're you beat the other your competitors, you're going to have a higher gross margin. And through the life cycle, as it's getting older, uh, and you know, <laughs> four months uh, older, <laughs> your margin goes down, and you have to do some price protection and, and spend some money, and so your margin goes down. But then that's the time when you you end of life it and you introduce the new one and, and so it wasn't important what that snapshot gross margin was it really was what's your average overall life cycle gross margin and and once we align things to that um it just totally changed but but you're right there's a lot of companies that now look at it that way is mm -hmm. it's, a, it's the overall average uh gross margin of your product not just a snapshot in time that's that's that was the know, key yeah. No, that, that absolutely was the key because at the end of the day, you know, when you were forecasting and forecasting in that, in that environment was always such a big challenge, but you never wanted to be stuck with product because, you know, if you had a lot of product toward the end of a, um, a product life cycle and Intel just announced a new CPU and my, Microsoft was coming out with a new operating system, you had to discount heavily what, what you had in stock and that, that yep. could wipe all your margin oh. right, off the, right, right out the door. You know? Yeah, well, well, when I when I came back, and this was the mid '90s, when I came back to Compaq, 
Um, the consumer division that that year lost $180 million, and it was primarily due to just price protection. Right. Um, having to pay the, the, the resellers, you know, for, for, you know, the price reductions on product to, to make them sell. Otherwise, they'd be coming back, and then what do you do with them? Yep. But so, you know, let's, let's flip back to what you're doing right now because, you know, mm. get, you know as you know, Sean, I cover the smart home and the home automation category, right. a lot of the fun consumer technology uh, stuff for more insights. And you've been kind of um, uh, have been involved very heavily in the security area over the last few years, doing some really interesting things. Uh, you were president and CEO of a company called Paladin Armor, which had some really mm-hmm. interesting AT, AI-related type of stuff, the way it kind of mm-hmm. approached the, um, the IoT and, and the, uh, the, the home market. Uh, that company got acquired by Katera, where you are right now. But let's talk a little bit about what you did at, at Paladin Armor and, more importantly, what you're doing at Katera right now. Yeah. Yeah. So at, at, at Paladin Armor, um, you know, I, so I worked I worked at a company called Nortec where we we manufactured, designed and manufactured security systems that go into homes and, and a number of different brands use them. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the key to that market had, had always been the call center, you know, uh, subscribing that you have a monthly call center that if your security or your alarm system goes off, it goes to the call center and, you know, they, they either they call you and try to get a hold of you or they send the police. Um, but but that type of business model, it's an old business model. People tend to keep their security system there, uh, and they're, they're monitoring for five or six years. Um, and then they, they, they tend to not really use it much as they get to the end. And, and then they go, well, why are we paying for this? And they, they cancel it. But, but the industry makes their money off of that, that call center part. Mm. And so what we tried to do um, after I had left that company uh, and we created Paladin Armor, we, we, we went to the beginning and, and said, why – why do people, you know, get rid of their security systems? Why don't they use them? And and then we started thinking, well, with technology today, why do people have to manually arm and disarm them? Can we develop a capability where uh, it's able to determine you're there and then do everything automatically? And, and there mm-hmm. are some systems that, that do a little bit of this, but ours was based on, you know, utilizing sensors, motion sensors, geofencing, facial mm-hmm. recognition, and others, that it would determine um, based on your you know, what it knows, you know, your geofencing information, your geolo- uh, geographic location, and so on, um, uh, as well as the activity within the home, through AI, it would determine if it was you or if it was somebody else, because there are patterns that get created by normal living and activity. And, and, and Paladin Armor was a company that was uh, working on that security system and home automation that was able to determine that presence and activity um, and 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 be used as a security system, or even, we're even looking at it for senior living and and um, uh, aging uh, mm-hmm. in place. And so uh, we were uh, moving on, and and we got approached by Katera, who really liked our technology, um, like the core technology and what we were doing, and also the the, the capabilities that we had as a as a, a product and development team. Um, and uh, they acquired us, and and so I moved to Katera uh, last year, a little over a year ago, um, as uh, uh, head of the advanced building systems. To where my group is now, we're taking that knowledge that we had uh, at Paladin Armor, um, and we are applying it to new products. So we're developing uh, totally new uh, technologies for HVAC products, looking at wireless light switch uh, products and wireless lighting. Um, um, it, uh, we're also putting in sensors throughout the buildings because Katera is really founded on, on trying to, 
improve the processes of, of constructing buildings. So doing part of it in a controlled environment like a factory uh, as much as possible and then moving that to the field site where it could be assembled very, very quickly. So reducing the time and costs by you know, less, less than half uh, of what it would be. And, and so we're providing the technology uh, to be able to, to uh, evolve these processes to get them done much more efficiently. So again, sensors within buildings, looking at the, the, uh, the structural integrity of it, looking at locations of materials and logistics, mm -hmm. and even personnel on a job site. Uh, and so that's where we're taking uh, our technology and bringing it uh, into Katerra and into the construction field, which you know, uh, construction field is 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 kind of a very traditional uh, industry. Um, right, right, has right. Not been used to, to much change. Mm -hmm. uh, now that you've been you've been there for about a year, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. correct? Yep. What what um, what has kind of surprised you? You know, in terms of the way uh, the the the, uh, the the company has approached you guys. A lot of times, companies swallow up other companies, and you know, you never hear about them again. But obviously, you guys are thriving within the Katera, you know, corporate uh, structure. Anything, you know, you might want to talk about in terms of the way Katera has approached you guys and, you know, the way they're kind of, it sounds like they're really doing a nice job of really integrating them, them, uh, you or your business uh, into their overall strategy. It sounds like it's been, it's been going on very, very well. Yes, it, 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 it really has been great. Um, I, and I think that the fundamental um, uh, aspect that the founders of the company, Michael Marks, uh, Nick Brathwaite, and others, these are individuals who, who have played a, a significant part in the technology industry. And so they're used to change and they encourage change. Um, that's been a, that's been a, a significant uh, assistance in, in, in bringing us on. And also, you know, listening to some of our harebrained ideas and schemes. Um, <laughs> you, you, you have harebrained schemes, and I, I, I'm surprised. <laughs> You'd admit that on a podcast, but well, go ahead. You know, and, you, know you, you come up with all kinds of, of, of things, and some of them stick, some of them don't. Um, right. But you vet that out. And, you know, you, you, as, as you know, uh, Mark, uh, you know, you have a lot of smart smart guys in the room, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, back when, when we were together, I mean, you were one of the smart guys and, and, and you come up, you know, you come up with different, uh, approaches and sometimes you go, eh, that's, that's, that's kind of a stupid idea, right. you know, but if you change it around here look at this and, and you just, you know, it's, it's the, it's the aspect of being open to, to new thought and process. And, and I think that's been, uh, extremely, uh, important within Katera. And that's actually one of the things I think is extremely disruptive to the construction industry. I mean, you're talking about an industry who, you know, there's a lot of people who have been doing things, you know, the same way for decades. Um, and, you know, they have the approach of, you know, hey, why would I want to use a nail gun when this hammer works just fine for me? Right. And, you know, but, um, but that's the whole part about, about moving into an industry and bringing in technology and trying to do things better. And, and, and the substantive part of that is if you can prove you're able to do things faster and cheaper and better. And that's, that's kind of the, the, uh, the, the mantra at Katera, faster, mm -hmm. cheaper, better. Um, and, and, you know, that, that becomes a tangible thing that you can measure, you can see, and customers end up appreciating. Right. And, you know, and, and what's fascinating about that is that, you know, so many people today, they want to get into the smart home. They want to do home automation. They want to do mm -hmm. home security after the fact in their existing home or their yeah. condo. And when you can do it at the, at the construction integration level, there's so many benefits that drives. I mean, cost, obviously, is one of them. Uh, there's aesthetics, obviously, is a big one of them because, you, you know, not, not a lot of cables and things. And, you know, today's yeah. sensors have, and time-of-flight cameras and other te technologies have become so inexpensive today that you can really have a great user experience when you do it 
when when construction and technology you know form this marriage together well hey that was really a great podcast sean thanks for uh, spending time with me uh, uh, today to uh, bring people up to speed on what you're doing and and sharing some of the stories from our old compact presario days um long ago but in any event Thanks to the More Insights and Strategy audience for listening in. Please follow us on our social media partners, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. And until next time, have a great weekend.